leaders and they're wrong. We are all leaders. The world is crying out for leadership in every area of life. Before you tell yourself you're not a leader, understand that there's all kinds of leadership. Understand that there are all kinds of leaders. Anyone who says women can't be leaders is nuts. Anyone who says wives can't be leaders obviously isn't particularly well married. I speak from brutal experience, darling. In fact, I would go so far as to say that real, real leaders do everything they can to develop even more and better leaders than themselves. Nehemiah understood this. He was a great leader, mainly because he knew precisely what was required of a great leader, and he maintained relationships with the people that he led. So let's read a portion of his story from the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, starting with verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. Meanwhile, the people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. They had gone back to Israel. The walls were all down. A town without walls was a defenseless town. People just walk right in and kill anybody, steal anything, and do whatever they want to do. You had to have a wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told them ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives. And your homes. Now pause for a second. During the Civil War, there was a Confederate general, Lowell, Lowell Armistead. He would address the troops, especially at a pivotal point of the battle. And here's what he'd say. And as he did before his last battle, Pickett's charge on the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg. It's based on verse 14 we just read. Here's what he said. Virginians, Virginians. For your land, for your homes, for your sweethearts, for your wives, for Virginia, forward march. And then he said something that soldiers love to hear. He didn't say charge. He didn't say follow me. He said, who will follow me? And they all did. Armistead's column was positioned to the right of the Confederate advance, mainly in reserve the Union fire was murderous. The Confederate charge bogged down. And what Armistead did is led them in what they call an oblique maneuver. What that means is he's got his straight battle line. And without breaking the battle line, tremendous discipline on the battlefield, you do an oblique move like this so that he could rightfully attack the center of the Union line. And he cut through this murderous torrent of lead and steel and his men actually reached the Union line. It's called the Bloody Angle. He was the only Confederate group to reach the Union line. Never again would they be so close to victory, but he was mortally wounded. His men had to retreat. The attack was a total failure. But no general on either side had more, was more courageous or more noble. 
Who wouldn't follow a man like that? And who wouldn't follow a man like Nehemiah? Okay, back to the book, verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. The story starts out with the Jews in panic. There was a little bit of psychological warfare going on. Their enemies were threatening an ambush, whispering about an ambush, faking an ambush, and they were panicked. And the reason why we know they were panicked is the same people came to Nehemiah 10 times and said, they're going to attack us. They're going to ambush us. And we don't know that some of these people might have been spies telling Nehemiah that. And he handled it. He handled it as a leader should handle it. So what do we learn when we look at his example? Number one, a leader listens. They were scared and they said so. Nehemiah heard it and believed them. There's not a hint of disbelief or, or disdain. He listened carefully, thought about what he would do. And then he put into place the second bit of advice that all leaders should follow. He took action. He did something. He posted guards at the lowest point of where the attack was most likely to come. Obviously, if you've got a high wall, nobody's going to attack that. If you've got parts where the wall is lower or the wall is broken, obviously that's where the ambush is going to come from. And he posted people in families. Why did he do that? So they would have maximum unity and concern for each other. Very intelligent move. He made sure that they were armed to protect themselves. Most importantly, he checked the wall personally. Did you notice that? After I went out and inspected the wall, then I came back. What's the lesson? A leader is involved. There's a common saying in business. Employees don't necessarily do what the boss expects but they will definitely do what the boss inspects. There is a time for delegation. But a real leader never delegates ultimate responsibility. Never. That always remains with him. And when Nehemiah went out personally, checked everything out by himself, with his own eyes, then he exhibited the fourth element of leadership, which is a leader encourages Reminds them of God's providence. Remember the Lord who was great and awesome. Then he emphasized the importance of what they were doing. 
and how it had to personally benefit each one of them when they were doing their work. You've got a stake in this. This is your job. These benefits are going to be your benefits for you and those that you love. Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And it worked. Encouragement always works. He didn't berate them for lacking courage or motivation. He didn't yell at them for their doubts. He encouraged them. And the work continued. The most important audience, by the way, the enemies heard about it, and they called off their plans. And what I get from that is this. Do you have any idea how much this church would benefit your family? Do you realize or do you ever think about how much this church and this ministry could transform this town? Do you have any idea or have you ever thought about how many problems the Christian gospel would solve in West Dallas, Wisconsin? Have you ever made it personal, your involvement with this church and your support for the ministry here and your prayers for the pastoral staff and those that worship with you? It affects you personally. You're in it. You got flesh in this game. You got a dog in this hunt. This is about you as much as it is about everybody else. And came another aspect of leadership. And here it is. A leader stands with you. Now, I'm going to read this again. It is a stirring account. Look at Nehemiah's performance. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people who were building the wall. Nobody was ever alone. Nobody. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand, held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Nobody knew for sure what was going to happen. Everybody needed faith in order to stick with it. If you have doubts, do you think these people didn't? But they looked at their leaders and saw that their leaders were standing with them and their leaders were supporting them. And their leaders believed and knew that God would take care of them. The man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, work is extensive and spread out. We're all widely separated from each other. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. This church is not an organization. This church is an organism. Your body, when it's infected, reacts to the infection. And cells from all over your body go there and deal with that infection. Now, the church should be exactly the same. When somebody hurts, we should all hurt. When somebody's got a problem, it should be everybody's problem. We aren't nosy. We're concerned. We aren't judgmental. We're helpful. That's what an organism does. That's what we are. Not an organization. This is not a Sunday club. This is the body of Christ in West Dallas. So we continued our work with half the men holding spears. From the first light of dawn till the stars came out, they worked hard. At that time, I said to the people, have every man and helper stay inside at Jerusalem so, so that they can rest at night and work during the day. Take some time off to carry yourself. I love this. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon. 
even when he went to water, that is probably my wife's least favorite Bible verse. No one took off your clothes. Obviously, nobody washed up. Everybody smelled like a cornstarch factory, but each had his weapon and went to work. That's leadership. So Nehemiah and his men might not have uh, smelled that great, but they were great leaders. Is this helpful? Do you, do you see what leadership can do? What relationships a leader should have with the people who follow. Now, I was told by a wonderful pastor one time, I admire good speakers, I always have, and they said various things. But one of the things this pastor told me I have never forgotten. He said, advice is always complicated. Example is perfectly clear. So I'm going to give you a couple examples of leadership. And these are from another church, one in Rochester, New York, where I was on staff. These examples involve me, not because I'm such a great leader, but because I only had a few days to put together this sermon, and I was the only one I could reach on such short notice to give permission to use these examples. But the first story is about our church plans for enlarging and, in, and remodeling our building. I call it the Endless Approval. It's a big church, large church couple thousand people. The congregation had submitted an expansion plan to the local city board, but they got nothing but trouble. For years, they had put together this plan. My friend was a man named Bill Slay. He was worked hard, former executive, put together a detailed plan, budget costs, everything, blueprints, you name it, it was there. Each time, the city board would take it under advisement, then demand more changes, more revisions, more work. Got a little suspicious, and the reason is most local governments don't like churches because they don't pay any taxes. But this resulted in $50,000 of additional unnecessary expense for the project. Well, came an election, and I thought to myself, we ought to meet with the candidates find out what's going on. So Bill and I went to talk to the city president. The incumbent had absolutely no progress at all. He didn't want the thing, and he said, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. Okay. We met with the challenger, and he was open to things, and he would be willing to consider it, and he knew that we had had this thing on the boards for a long, long time. And finally, I looked him in the eye, and I said, you know what? Every penny of that $50,000 came out of an offering plate. And there are an awful lot of people in this church that give sacrificially. Widows who put coins in that offering plate so that we could have the $50,000 to put toward all of these unnecessary plans. said, I'll do what I can. So I went to the elder board, and you have to understand Churches hate to get involved in politics in our elder board where there was no um, exception. But in a primary election, which is what this was, a couple hundred people can make all the difference. We had 2,000 people in our church, and probably half of them at least lived in the town. So I said to the elder board, why don't we tell the people um, what is at stake in this election and how the candidates feel about it. They had issued statements. They 
We didn't have to make anything up. And the elders said, oh, no, 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 we, we couldn't possibly do that. I said, well, could we make an announcement from the pulpit? Oh, no, 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 we couldn't do that. We, we just want to get involved in politics. So I said, well, would you give me the names of the people in our congregation that live in the town? I'll call them. I'll get some people to call. Oh, no, 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 we don't want to get involved in politics here. And I'm thinking, what in the world? So I met with the challenger. Bill and I met with the challenger. And he said, well, what did the church say? What does the church feel? And I told him the truth. Listen carefully. I said, if the people in our congregation knew the facts, I'm sure they would vote. True? True? Okay. I also said, I've discussed this with the elder board. True? True? didn't tell them what they said. I just said, I discussed this with the elder boy. Word got out. People started to care about whether or not our church expansion plans would be approved. But the key was a week later when they had their final meeting. Of, well, that wasn't the final meeting. of The city zoning commission. And they put our proposal at the end of the meeting like they always did. They had a recess and then they called everybody back. But they made a mistake, and they published the time schedule. In other words, they said, at such and such a time, we're going to uh, discuss this particular church expansion plan. One minute beforehand, the challenger walked in with his entire campaign committee and sat with our elders, staring at the incumbent. Dead silence in the room. They had just gotten out of a recess. They called another recess, and they all went into another room to talk. And when they came back, our expansion plan was unanimously approved. No problems after that. And the main reason was because the challenger got elected. Is that leadership? Was I in authority? No. It was leadership. Then there was the day of silence. Oh, this was great. At the local high school, there was a LGTB group. There was no Q back then. There was just LGTB. And the students wanted a day of silence. And the day of silence was going to be on a Thursday that all those who were trending in that direction or supportive would show up for school but would simply stand at their desks all day in class and never say anything and never answer a question to show their support for the oppressed same-sex community. School administrators supported the project, as did the principal, the teachers, and, of course, the LGBT student group. The only people who were opposed to it were nearly all the students and their parents. They were upset, and especially at our church, they were upset, and they wanted to meet with us, and so naturally the elder board says, well, Pastor John, why don't you meet with them? Me? I'm supposed to meet? Oh, yeah. You do it, John. Just take care of it. Everything will be fine. Well, they all showed up, and I couldn't believe there were so many of them. Hundreds showed up at our church, and they were in a dangerous state of mind, and by that I mean they were all angry. They all wanted to do something. And they had no idea what to do. 
So the potential for embarrassment or counterproductive action was huge because the media would be on the LGBT side. Any protest by parents would be turned against them. All publicity and sympathy would go to the protesters. The parents would come off looking like bigots, and they knew it. They didn't know what to do. They all wanted to do something other than stay in their houses and pray. So I had a proposal. And I explained it would be realistic, safe, legal, acceptable, appropriate, and effective. But I said, I won't tell you what it is unless you pledge to do it. Do you really want to do something? And they all looked at each other and said, yeah, what is it? And I said, okay. They were enthusiastic. I said, I want you to call the school on Monday. I want you to explain that since students aren't going to have to answer questions and will refuse to participate in class, no education will be occurring at the school on Thursday. You are to request that your child be given all of the class assignments for Thursday and your, your child will stay at home. And you will make sure at home that your child learns the lessons for Thursday. Be polite, be respectful, be firm. Well, not only were our Christian parents excited, the word got out and everybody was excited about it. Whether they went to church or not, they all liked the idea, as did their kids, because getting a day off school sounded like a real good idea to them. I was later told that the phone lines at the church office were so busy that people who called at 8 o'clock didn't get through until 3.30 in the afternoon. They got busy signals. Everybody called. Everybody called. Everybody called saying exactly the same thing. Everybody called asking for the exact same work that their kids could do on Thursday. Well, that night, there was an emergency meeting of the school board, and they dropped the project. Not out of some newfound moral clarity, but because there would be so few students at school on Thursday that the school might lose state aid for that day. They dropped the project like a bad habit, not for religious reasons or even moral reasons, but for purely economic ones. I didn't care. Parents didn't care. We were too busy celebrating. Best of all, there was no public ruckus, no bad publicity, no embarrassment for anybody, school, everybody. That's it. Two examples. Are you a leader? The answer is yes. Do you have relationships? The answer is yes. Can you be and should you be a leader in every one of those relationships? The answer is yes. I think I've said it long enough for you to remember, you are a leader. Good one or bad one, it doesn't really matter. You are a leader. This entire sermon series has been about relationships in your life. Every one of them is an opportunity for leadership by you to do what Nehemiah did, to listen, to take action, to be involved to provide encouragement, and then to stand with them. And I guarantee you that if you lead, others will follow. 
Are you willing to use your influence to make the world a better place? To honor God? To do and to be what is required of a good leader? Well, are you willing? Or do you just want to take a walk through life? Let's pray. Lord, Jesus was a leader. He didn't yell at people like a football coach or jump up and down. Didn't make a big fuss. He listened. He acted. He was involved. He encouraged. And most of all, he stood with us. Lord, Help us to do the same thing. Help us to be leaders. Give us the strength, the commitment, and the desire to help others and to be strong and faithful to you and encourage others to do the same thing. Lord, we are leaders. Make us good ones. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think it's possible for me to overemphasize the degree to which God is moving in the world today. God is moving. This is a sermonette, no extra charge. Do you realize that yesterday, over two billion people saw one of the finest Christian presentations I have ever seen on television? I watched that royal wedding. The liturgy was fantastic. The sermon was incredible. Everything about it was godly and righteous and pure. The songs, great. I only wish that they had put subtitles on the screen when they were singing the hymns. That would have been the only thing I would have added so that you could better understand what the hymns were actually saying. And the whole world saw it. Every one of us could use the royal wedding to tell people about Jesus Christ. Every one of us. Every single one of us. Would you please stand for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.